Thank you, Rachel. That was very beautiful and was so nice and kind of you to do that. Um, thank you. And James, how deep the Father's love. You didn't know this. I've never told you this. That was one of my favorite hymns. So uh, out of all the weeks that you did that one, I uh, really appreciate that. Um, and we should continue to be in prayer for, for LD, uh, as we talked about, as he's bringing the word at the revival at Bullitsburg Baptist Church. And um, he needs all the prayers uh, that he can get, for sure. Um, but let's, let's pray first before we begin. Dear Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning, uh, perhaps with a lot on our minds. Uh, Lord, we know there's a lot going on in the world um, but we also know that you are in control, um, that you are sovereign, and that your will will ultimately be done. In this time, Lord, just let my words uh, be from you, and that we receive the message that you want us to hear, uh, and have the wisdom and the strength uh, to carry out your will in our lives and in this world. In Jesus' name, amen. So today, uh, I, I want to bring a message um, about one of the, the most quoted verses in the Bible. Um, many of us know it growing up in church, um, and it seems central. Uh, seems simple, but it's central to all other aspects of our faith. You know, in, in today's climate, it's, it's easy uh, to just focus on what our own needs are. And when we do that, it, it makes it hard to love others as God has called us to love. And maybe this year we realize that even though we were planners before and we tried to plan out every little detail of our lives, well, 2020 kind of ruined that. Um, many of us have heard of, of the greatest commandment found in, first in Deuteronomy and then in, in different places in the Gospels, Jesus reiterates the greatest commandment. And it seems like a straightforward message, but there's many layers that we can look at and, and dive into. So let's turn to, to Matthew um, 22, verses 34 to 40. And I, I'm reading out of the NIV. Um, so read with me, verses 34 to, to 40. Hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, the Pharisees got together. One of them, an expert of the law, tested him with this question. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. And so, while we could look at any number of things in these verses, I want to zero in on the with all your soul portion of the text here. And some have said that the with all your soul deals with having an eternal perspective as opposed to an earthly or temporary perspective. And I want to dive into exactly what that means for us in our modern context. You know, first, I'm going to talk about technology. You know, technology has brought a lot of advancements, a lot of uh, benefits to our lives. Um, you know, through communication, texting, emailing, uh, social media has all brought us 
quote-unquote closer together, make communication easier. I know I, for one, have benefited greatly from the ease of communication when I was in Texas, over a thousand miles away from my parents and most of my friends back home. It also, technology has also made our lives more efficient. From doing research to business remotely, as a lot of people did last year and continue to do, my dad continues to work uh, from home, um, everything seems to be more seamless, right? Not only has technology affected how we communicate and how we work, it has also revolutionized uh, store buying experiences. You have the self-checkouts. I feel like those self-checkouts the sections in like Walmart, they just keep getting bigger and bigger. I feel like it's going to be the only thing after, after too long, right? Um, not only, though, has it affected grocery stores, it has affected uh, online shopping experiences as well. I don't know if this... Josh, is this clicker working? I don't really... Is there a way that you can change? There you go, thank you. So Amazon, everybody shops at Amazon, right? I mean, most everybody. Um, I say that as I, as I work for Amazon part-time as well. So Amazon is starting these Amazon Go stores. A few years ago, they started them in, in cities like New York, Seattle, um, San Francisco. And so basically, the idea is most everybody has a smartphone. And so you have, you have your Amazon app on your smartphone. You go into, they're like grocery stores. You go into these grocery stores, you pick up an item, and it goes onto your virtual cart. It knows that you pick up the item, and it has it on your cart, on your app. And you can place it back, and it will take it off your cart. So you, you pick up what you want, leave, and it charges your account. No human interaction necessary, no cashier, none of that. And so anybody can see the convenience of this, right? I mean, very simple, very easy, but with so much gained, right? With so much gained, the question is, what is lost because of our reliance on technology? There's been numerous studies that have done on the effects of social media and technology on uh, mental health. There is a particular study done out of the University of Pennsylvania 140 undergraduate students took part in this survey or in this uh, study, and they were conducted. They had conducted surveys before and after the study uh, with questionnaires based on um, questions over feelings of isolation, anxiety, um, depression, and so basically the study was they had one group continue their social media use. Um, however long that was, and for many people it's in the hours, not just minutes, where they're on their phone. And the other one, the other group had to limit their time to 30 minutes a day um, over a three-week period. And so before and after the study, like I said, they had surveys, uh, and the results revealed that there's a correlation, there may be a correlation between so longer social media use and feelings of depression and loneliness. And so while social media is not the only factor here, I mean there's many factors that deal with mental illness, um, it does perhaps show a disconnect in our lives. 
right? And the question still remains, what has been lost because of our reliance on technology? I'll give a personal example here. When I was a youth minister in Texas, uh, you know, I had the bright idea of not starting out this way of having a no cell phone rule. I started it like halfway through the year. I was like, you know, this is the week I'm going to do a no cell phone rule. And just so happened that there were five or six new students that showed up that Wednesday night. And I was like, well, I'm not backing down now. Uh, they're probably going to not understand. And sure enough, they didn't. One of the students, uh, the new students, when I said that if uh, I see her phone, I'm going to have to take it until, um, until the end of the night. And one student responded this way, but I don't know how to talk to people without my phone. Let that sink in. I don't know how to talk to people without my phone. And while that's an exaggeration, I was talking to this, per I was talking to this student you know, just then, it shows what a crutch it can be. And perhaps our reliance on technology has not connected us well or in ways that we were promised. And maybe we haven't been made more efficient by technology. Maybe we, we've instead become more closed off, looking inward instead of outward, as we are called to. But like I said, to blame all of our problems, all of society's problems on technology is misguided, right? I mean... Our problems are a lot more complex than that. It doesn't provide the whole picture either. You know, technology has provided many advantages and is beneficial in many ways. Um, and Dr. Angela Grell, she is a professor at Baylor, um, and she wrote a book about the new media landscape, and that dives into the complexity uh, of the effects of social media, the, the good and the bad. She says this, new media has, has both glorious possibilities and profound brokenness. Glorious possibilities arise when the new media is designed and used in view of the Christian visions of the flourishing life. However, in view of malformed or distorted visions of what the good life is, new media is developed and used for damaging purposes. And, you know, technology has been very beneficial in my life, in my academic pursuits, and keeping contact with friends and family. But I, I can see how easily... Uh, technology can be used, uh, misused, and abused. And technology is not the only thing that provides glorious possibilities and profound brokenness. The new media is, is just the new kid on the block, right? Even in Jesus' time, they had difficulties with having the wrong perspective. Peter, who was with Jesus day in, day out, saw his ministry, had the wrong perspective. In, uh, in Matthew 16, he even claims that Jesus was a Messiah, the Son of the living God. And he was correct in his, in his uh, conclusion, but he really didn't understand the full implications of what that meant. So, if you turn with me to Matthew 16, a few chapters earlier, Matthew 16, 21 through 26, this is where we, we pick up. From that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Never, Lord, he said, this shall never happen to you. Jesus turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me, and you do not have in mind the concerns of God but merely human concerns. 
Then Jesus said to his disciples, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world, yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? So Peter's previous confession that Jesus was the Messiah, that was praised by Jesus. Jesus called him blessed for his answer. But in what follows, Peter appears to narrow his focus on personal desires or his preconceived notions on what the Messiah meant. And after Peter rebuked Jesus, think about that. Rebuking Jesus. Crazy, right? <laughs> the Son of Man snaps right back. Get behind me, Satan. Whoa. Get behind me, Satan. Or in other translations can be, get out of my sight. So here are Peter's two choices. Peter's two choices are this, to be a hindrance or an obstacle to Jesus, or he can get behind Jesus as a follower and take part in his mission, a mission that abandons personal preferences. So Jesus is saying, get behind me, follow me, or get out of the way. Either way, my will is going to be done. My mission is going to be accomplished. And so that same call to, to pick up a cross to deny ourselves that is given to Peter is given to all of us. That kingdom life is provided for us, the life of Jesus, the life of self-sacrifice, the life of service. And so when attention is wrapped up in personal gains, when, it, when our attention is wrapped up in efficiency, we see people as a means to an end rather than an end in themselves to be loved. We have not chosen all the time to be uh, selfless, to be mindful of our, the need of our neighbor. And so as humans, we've always struggled with that temptation. Things to, we always struggle with the temptation to make good things idols, right? It's not that we can't enjoy good things. We can enjoy good things. We can't enjoy things that make us efficient um, or connect us. But sometimes we idolize them in unhealthy ways. And, this, and despite how we screw up, despite that, there's grace for us when we fail to have that right perspective, when we fall back on our earthly vision. You know, even after, going back to Peter and Jesus, even after Jesus says, get behind me, Satan, just a little while later, Jesus invites him to experience the glory of God in the transfiguration, to witness the glory of God. And even though Peter does not have the right perspective, even on that mountain, Jesus keeps inviting him back over and over, giving him second chances over and over and over again. And so contrary to our self-gratifying and self-satisfying culture that leaves us unfulfilled, Christ offers real transformation to change our earthly perspective to a heavenly one, to an eternal one. A perspective that is upward and outward, that shifts our focus on God and others. And so, how can we trade our earthly perspective for an eternal one? I'll offer just a few suggestions here. One is that we can live an unhurried life. Okay, what does that mean? Well, you know, in our society, we're very work-centric, right? We're very work-focused. The American dream, you know, if we work long enough, if we work hard enough, we can get what we want. We can have the nicest house, the nicest car. We can 
go up the corporate ladder. And don't get me wrong, I love living in America. I love the opportunities that I have been blessed with, that we have been blessed with living in this country. But sometimes we can take a blessing and turn it into a curse. You know, if we believe we work a, a few more hours, our boss will notice we'll get a promotion, you know, we'll get the next best thing, we'll be truly happy with having more. So quickly do we forget that God calls us each week for Sabbath rest. I mean, after all, Jesus or God himself, when he created the world, when he created the universe, chose to rest. And he beckons us to do the same, to rest and abide in him. John Mark Comer has a book called The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. And he says that we are shaped by what we give uh, our attention to. He says this, because what you give your attention to is the person you become. Put another way, the mind is the portal to the soul. And what you fill your mind with will shape the trajectory of your character. In the end, your life is no more than the sum of what you gave your attention to. So, living a unhurried life will, require, will make us say no to even good things. And that's not easy. You know, especially when we're bombarded with advertisement after advertisement, with products that will claim to make our lives stress-free or less stressful and ensure that we'll have less, more time and we'll worry less. And yet, sometimes we find that those products and those services that are supposed to keep us stress-free often just clutter our lives, right? Distract us and make us more stressed out. The products that were supposed to be more efficient often give us the most distraction. So what can we do? What, what are some, some practical things that we can do to work against our culture and, and their pursuit of efficiency and uh, self-satisfaction? You know, one thing, now this, you know, some, some people don't have problems with phones, but I, you know, a smartphone is very addicting, right? So leaving your phone out of your room out of your bedroom. For, that may mean getting an old-fashioned alarm clock for some of us. I know people that have done that, uh, that are my age, that have gotten alarm clocks because they, they find it just so tempting to look at their phone right before they go to bed, right when they wake up. And we'll find that, like, you know, the, the blue light on your screen, it really tampers with their sleep. So we might find that we get better sleep. We might find that we get, be in a better mood if we leave our phones out of our bedrooms. Second is limit our screen time in general. And this can go for all of us. You know, maybe we don't look at our, our phone a lot. Maybe we watch TV too much. Or maybe we're on our computer a lot. And with whatever we're doing, maybe we, we bring our work home and work on our laptops when we should be spending time with family. And so that's the default of many of us. Whenever we have an idle moment, whenever we get bored, we turn to these things, our phone, our TV, our computer. And we don't want to experience stillness because we, we are afraid of it, really. Thirdly, set aside time to be purposely unproductive. Now, that's kind of a scary word, unproductive, right? We feel like if we're unproductive, we're lazy. You know, we're always yearning for the next thing, whether that is work-related or whether we have FOMO, fear of missing out on something that happens on social media or a news story that we're not up to date on. 
So maybe instead of, of binging one more episode or reading or watching one more news story that just gets our blood boiling, maybe, or, or scrolling through social media one more time, maybe take, a, take time to sit in nature, drink a cup of coffee, tea, whatever you like to drink. Play, play, with, play one more game of pretend with your kids because you never get that time back. Have a meaningful conversation with a friend or a spouse. And maybe you can use this time also to spend, the, spend time in the Word. Keep a prayer journal. That's been something helpful for me. You can, that's, keeping a prayer journal is a, a tangible reminder of God's faithfulness. And so these, see, these things may seem unproductive. They, they don't get you ahead in your job. They don't make you more money. Uh, they don't give you uh, more affirmation, necessarily. But these things are invaluable. And Jesus gives us an example of, of taking time away from doing, quote-unquote, productive things. Jesus is all, wasn't always teaching, wasn't always healing. He didn't say yes to all situations or people at all times. He went into seclusion on a mountain or in a garden, to pray, to spend intimate time with the Father. And likewise, if we are to live the way God in, intends for us to live, loving God with all our being and our neighbors, we must spend intentionally time to refresh, to do things that refresh our soul. And so that's one thing that we can do, is live an unhurried life. And maybe you can take some of that, maybe none of it applies to you, but hopefully... You can take some of that and take that to heart. Secondly, we can do all of our work as an act of praise and recognition of God. You know, I think we, we fall into one of two pitfalls. We either work for the weekend, we can't wait, we hate our job, we just can't wait to, for the week to be over so that we can enjoy relaxation. Or maybe we love our job so much that we become controlled by it and we're workaholics, and the demands of work bleeds into all other aspects of our lives. But Paul says in Colossians 3 that whatever you do, work at it with all your being for the Lord and not for men, because we know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as your reward. You know, so work is not something we should dread, nor something that we should obsess over and make our everything. Rather, we should see it as a gift from God for God. And this can happen through starting each day with a simple recognition, a simple prayer to God. Thank you for the breath in my lungs. Thank you for the opportunities that I have to work. May it be glorifying to you. Starting something simple like that, rooting our lives in, in prayer in Christ. And so we can start our day with that praise. And I believe as followers of Jesus, we're a call to, to live life with an eternal perspective. And we can only do that by spending time with Christ. You know, our witness is based on a different motivation from the world. In the Gospels, Jesus tells of the story of the wise house builder, the wise and the foolish house builder. The wise man builds his house on the what? On the rock, right? And what happens when the storms and the winds and the waves come? What happens to that house? Stand strong, right? 
And what does the, the, foolish, the foolish builder do? Builds it on the sand. And then when the waves come and the wind blows and the, the storms of, of... It blows down. The house collapse. So we each have a decision to make, right? We can either... One option is build our lives on hurried, distracted, and overstimulated ground. Ground that leaves little room for God, but is, but is guided by a, a, a distortion of what the good life is. A life that is all about gratifying our own desires, our own needs. Or, the second option, which hint, uh, this is the best option, uh, we can build our lives on Jesus, right? The rock. And, our, and have his pattern of life guide us. And let him be our vision, our perspective. So maybe, maybe you believe that happiness and comfort should be your compass. Or maybe you've let busyness drag you along. Maybe you feel like you have to add one more, you have to say yes and fill up your calendar to the brim. Maybe your fear of missing out has made you servants to the next exciting thing, the next exciting opportunity that arises. But whatever, whatever you have been chasing, whatever your earthly desires have been, whatever your vision has been, God points to another way. It's a way of self-denying love, of resting and rooting ourselves in the love of God and others. So as I conclude, will you accept this invitation to live? You know, maybe, you, maybe you have accepted Christ, but maybe day to day you haven't seen much of a change in your life. Maybe you still fall back on your earthly vision. But the way of Jesus, the way of God, is a way of selfless, selflessness, of having a proper work-life, work-rest balance, all rooted in loving relationship with God and others. Will you accept that invitation of true and abundant life? Let's pray. Dear Lord, we, we thank you for offering us new life. A new life with new perspective. You've called us to experience real living in a way that transforms us and how we view you and how we view the world. And forgive us when we fail to see that, when we fail to have the right vision. And give us strength to walk in faith that we might love you and love others with the right perspective. Reorient us so that we might be rooted in you. In Jesus' name, amen. So at this time, I would like to offer an invitation. If you have not accepted that God, if you not accepted Christ in your life, if, you've, if you resonate with that earthly perspective of constantly seeking after the next thing or working, making work your idol, God welcomes you with open arms to receive abundant life, a life that his burdens are easy, right? Come to me, all who are weary, I will give you rest, Jesus says. And so, if you would like to make that decision, I would invite you today. If you want to become a member of Bellevue Baptist Church, we will welcome you with open arms. If you want to be baptized, we'd love for you to have that opportunity. If you want to come and pray, I'd be happy to pray for you.
So come as we stand and sing.